is the House of Tech, the podcast where politics meets technology. I am Fred Chibesta, co-founder of Finder. And I'm Senator Andrew Bragg, Senator for New South Wales. And today we're talking about a very important topic, driving technology for better social outcomes. We've got Laura O'Reilly here, co-founder and co-CEO of Higher Up. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Awesome. Now, I've heard an incredible story um, and I think everyone would love to hear about it, about how you started Higher Up. Sure. So um, my brother, who is my co-founder, Geordie and I, we started Higher Up directly as a consequence of seeing our brother Shane's experiences as a person with disability who needed support. So Shane, our younger brother, he had cerebral palsy, he had a profound physical disability and a moderate intellectual disability, so he needed support 24-7. And like many families with a person with disability, we relied heavily on support workers. So we had, at the time, agency support workers coming into our house, you know, on the day daily basis. And we saw through that experience with Shane, I guess the contrasting experiences of where there was a support worker who, you know, was sort of sent that we didn't know, who didn't have a connection to Shane, who maybe wasn't kind of a good match for him personality wise, you know, just how kind of tricky that situation could be. And just experiences like, you know, opening the door at six in the morning, not knowing, you know, who the worker was, two minutes say hello, send them into his room to take his clothes off and, you know, get him ready for the day. Like it's, you know, really support work is really important to people and personal. And the experience of, you know, not having any control over that is quite profound. Conversely, when it was a worker that Shane was really connected to, same age, same interests, the fireworks were, could be really amazing and have an amazing impact on the quality of his life. So we were sort of seeing all of that sort of, you know, 2000 and, you know, 9, 10, 11, and the NDIS was also coming. So, you know, significant sort of funding reform of how disability supports work plus all the technology was kind of emerging uber was the big thing so we really saw an opportunity uh, at about 2015 to say well what if we bring together technology a platform to enable people like shane with significant disability to be in control of their workers and to make make yeah. those choices themselves and that was the start of higher up how have you found working with the ndia can you talk a little bit about that, some of the good parts, some of the challenges? Because it's a significant investment that the nation is making and it's, it is going to eclipse Medicare. So it's something that we want to make sure that it is working really well. Yeah, sure. I think the first, the broad point to say is that the NDIS has been absolutely transformational for yeah. the sector and yeah. for the lived experience of people with disability. That's good. Um, just taking Shane's, my brother's experience, we came back to, uh, to Australia from the UK in sort of the late 2010s, 2008. We were told there was a six-month wait for a shower chair, so that meant he wasn't having a shower for six months. He wanted to move out of home. There was a 15-year wait list. We were told the only option was to abandon him at his day program. He left school. He wanted to do something with his time to start with. There were no places for him to go anywhere. There was, nothing, there was no options. So the system before the NDIS was really abysmal. And I, I think maybe it's got a bit lost of how bad it used to be. Ration support, massive waiting lists and people's needs not just not being met. The NDIS has fundamentally transformed that by significantly more funding but the critical thing is putting that funding into the hands of people with disability themselves to drive their own choices, making it into a market dynamic. So that's So I think we should all be profoundly proud of the yeah, NDIS okay. and protective of it. Having said that, there are definitely some challenges with the NDIS. And one of the significant ones, I think, is that Higher Up is a registered provider. So we're registered with the NDIS. We comply with all of the sort of the systems and processes and rules that the NDIS lay down to make the market work. But not all providers are doing that. And so there's some disparities that are emerging between registered and unregistered providers. So I think there is some consistency that's needed across the rules and to make sure that everyone's sort of playing by the same set of rules and, and abiding by the same set of standards that are ultimately there to protect the community. But yeah, I mean, overall, it's been an amazing journey to be part of the NDIS. 
What do you think sort of um, some of the next technology advances for people with disability will be? What, what are you seeing as interesting and you know, where are you seeing sort of change? It's a really interesting question and there's definitely interesting disability specific innovations that are happening. An example might be armour suits that people are able to wear who are not able to walk who with the support of sort of, you know, that sort of wrap around um, those new systems that are emerging. People are able to stand up and move in, in completely different ways. So there's, there's individual things like that that are happening that are exciting. I think also the evolution we're seeing in driverless cars is really exciting for people with disability. Transport is a massive issue and if people are able to sort of have a vehicle and use it without needing to drive it like that's that sort of is quite profound in what that could mean uh, for people with mobility challenges I think however the the more exciting thing that I think is happening is that technology companies are thinking about accessibility and I think the future actually is not bespoke technology emerging only for people with disability but rather using the innate potential of of technology to make the whole world more accessible. And so we're seeing, you know, with organisations like Apple and a number of big tech players are thinking a lot about accessibility and how they can use their tools, design their tools to be accessible for everybody. And I think that's the real revolution that's coming that we're seeing. And how are you working with the the big tech companies? I mean, have you found them easy to deal with? Are they a core part of your business offering? Not in, I don't think in a core way. I mean, we certainly intersect with lots of the big tech companies. Yeah. We have, a, we use, you know, a, a big stack of, of different tech that we use. We have an app, etc. So you're, you know, always interacting with the different sort of kind of outlets for technology. We're based over in North Sydney, and we've got um, a big team over there who are who are building our platform, constantly kind of investing into it, making it better, making it as accessible as it can be. So if you're, if I was a client of yours, mm-hmm. I can basically self-select what I need. On an app? Yeah, exactly. So if you were a, a client of the traditional disability sector, what would happen is that you would speak to a, an agency, mm-hmm. you'd tell them what well, I need, you know, care in the morning. They would then roster someone, they would decide and send you someone. Yeah. So you would not, you'd, you'd have, you know that someone was coming, but you wouldn't be sure who, what time, because that worker's often in a queue of people that they're working with and that person could change okay. day to day. With higher up, the difference is you register on our platform as a client, support workers do the same. Once you're approved and we do a whole bunch of kind of checks to make the community safe, but once people yeah. are approved, the person with disability and the support worker can find each other. So there's search tools, job um, posting tools, etc. so that you as the person with yeah. disability Disability can say, I want that person and, and, and have that kind of um, relationship and interaction directly, which is ultimately about putting choice and control into your hands yeah. of who's supporting you and when. And are your staff um, employees or are they contractors or both? Our staff are all employees, and that's a really... Are they part-time or full-time? Uh, casual employees. They're casual employees. Casual, okay. casual, and then we have um, a program to allow, to enable people to take on part-time or full-time as well, so people can transition. But the majority of people are, are casual, and the kind of flexible flexible nature of the platform works well for our cohort. That's a really important so Would you decision. call this gig work in no. any sense? No, no. I, I, we don't consider it to be gig work at okay. all. And, and look, lots of the traditionals, casualisation is right across the disability sector because, again, it's sort of flexible flexible uh, work, which is, which is a challenge that we're trying to address as a sector. But no, absolutely not. The fundamental nature of support work is long-term relationships and relationships that need to build over time. You're not jumping into an Uber and getting out a few streets later and it doesn't really matter who dropped you off. People with disability have very specific support needs. They need the right person mm. and, then they, and then often those turn into long-term yeah. relationships that build up. So by its very nature, we don't believe that this kind of work 
is contractor work, it is employment, and we took the decision at the very beginning of this journey that we would take as the provider, we would take full responsibility for our workers, for their training, for uh, what happens if they get injured. You know, we take an all care, all responsibility approach. And the reason we do that is because I think if we look after our workers, they'll look after, you know, our clients to the best of their ability, which is what we believe in. We talked to Anthony Eisen from Afterpay about being a very mission-driven company. Mm. Would you consider Hired Up to be a mission-driven company? Absolutely, 100%. What, what is your mission? Uh, our mission is to support the pursuit of a good life for everybody, so to support each person with disability to pursue the good life for them. And we think that the fundamental building block to enable anyone to pursue the good life for them is choice and control, the ability to, as I talked about before, choosing the right workers that suit you and, and help you to kind of pursue that, that good life. So that's our mission, and, and, and what we do is we, we are a naturally impact company so the work that we do and the way that we generate revenue are impactful and are one and the same a lot of all impact organizations they do a commercial trade and then they direct profits to a social outcome for us the social outcome and the commercial outcome are exactly the same so we are sort of um, we're, we're in a fairly it's a rare category of business that is a genuine impact business but additional to that we've also taken a whole series of choices to make sure that we're doing as much good in the community as we can including the employment model just from my experience, Find is a very mission-oriented company as well. You're helping people make better decisions, financial decisions, obviously, help mm-hmm. their life. Mm. But I think there's this sort of – I want to sort of um, unpack some things. I think there's this sort of dialogue around mission-driven companies versus, you know, um, ones that are not mm-hmm. and their ability to grow. Mm. Can you sort of talk us about you know, some of the stories of, of that growth and how it's actually, you know, been possible with, given that you have such a strong mission? Yeah, so Hire Up, we've been really fortunate to have sort of hyper growth, particularly in um, sort of the first few years after we started. We, was, you know, we won a number of awards for, um, we were one of the fastest growing tech companies in, um, in Australia, I think 2018. So we've seen really, you know, enormous growth, which has been terrific. The thing with, again, going back to, I suppose, you know, pure impact companies versus companies that choose to, to be led by mission. The cool thing about Hire Up is that the social good that we do, connecting people with disability, is what drives, you know, our growth. For us, it's quite. It's been quite simple that if you stay, you know, laser focused on what is in the best interests of our clients, they use the platform more. We grow faster, etc. So it's a really virt- virtuous cycle. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit different to organisations that maybe have more of a sort of uh, a more kind of commercial in what they fundamentally do, but then choose to do it in a way that is socially impactful and positive mm-hmm. for the world. There's a number of, I guess, occasions where you doing the right thing can, you know, maybe slow down some of your commercial growth. And we, look, we have examples of that at Hire Up too. For example, sometimes, you know, sometimes we decide to make technology, the prioritization decisions to focus more on safety than growth, as an example. There are tensions there with us as well. We're extremely clear on, on what we're doing this for. We're doing it to create a, a better world for people with disability and so I find that if you as co-CEO and I know the board take this view that if you are led by what's in the best interest of our clients you ultimately right make decisions that are right for the community which may lead in the short term to a slowing of growth but over the long term absolutely you know we've, we've found drive hyper growth which has been great. And would you be in the minority in terms of the uh, providers to the NDIS uh, that you're using so much technology to deliver services? Yeah, absolutely. So the sort of traditional disability sector, the sector that was kind of 
well established before the NDIS and is the ma- makes up the majority of the sector. These are often organisations which have been around, you know, for long periods of time that have not been, they're sort of not digitally native. In Yeah, they're, they're organisations that, and some of them, you know, date back to the 40s or the, you know, the, even before that. So there has definitely been a challenge, I think, for traditional providers to weave technology into their systems and processes. I think there's still a long way to go for the disability se- sector itself to embed technology into the heart of what we do, but also for the surrounding kind of tech e- ecosystem to create the tools that would enable providers to do that. HireUp's quite different. We are absolutely built on a technology platform. You recently raised $40 million with Seek. Tell us about that. You know, What did they see in your business and how did you, sort of, I guess, align on those, again, that, that, that mission orientatedness and that commercial side? So the first couple of funding rounds that we did was all impact investment rounds. So working with um, not-for-profits, with with fa- foundations like the Maya Foundation, um, family offices, people who were investing into the business because they saw social impact and commercial returns in equal balance. That was the funding that really kind of got us through the first few years. Moving to, I guess, up a, up a significant level with the funding raised with Seek, that was very much driven by, you know, the, the business had laid down the kind of the key foundations that were needed to, to be laid in the prior years and we were just ready to grow. So the partnership with Seek is really about investing in our technology, in our people here in, in, in Australia who, who are building our technology, in our sort of service delivery models to grow higher up across Australia. And, and our goal is to get to 25,000 people with disability by 2025. In terms of why Seek, we were really looking for a values aligned investor. We wanted an investor with long horizons and a sort of a long-term mindset because this is for us is, is about changing the world and that's a long-term mission. But also we found in Seek real sort of bedfellows in, around our belief in the impo- importance of the employment model and Seek very much um, invest into technology platforms that harness you know, employment or are about facilitating and supporting employment. And so we really were aligned from a values perspective there. And they also have a really strong understanding of the NDIS in our market. So for all those reasons, they were yeah, an amazing strategic partner for us. Yeah, Andrew Baston's a good guy. He sure is. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And impact investing, I mean, that's been one of the one of the trickiest things to solve. I mean, mm. I know that uh, there's been many reviews at a government level uh, into how that can be better facilitated. Because my understanding is that we are on the on the lower end of the of the scale. Mm. But it sounds like you've had a very positive experience with it. Yeah, so we were we were fortunate to be one of the first sort of big impact investment sort of success stories, I guess you could say, in Australia. But but that happened without government intervention, right? I mean, you you match made with. Yes. Meyer and, and Co. Yeah. So we work with an organisation, Melbourne-based organisation called Impact Generation Partners. The team there, Quinton and Amanda, they very plugged into the sort of philanthropic world and just true believers in the power of impact investing. And I think having seen it in, in places like Israel and Europe and yeah. seeing what it could do. So yeah, we've been really proud to sort of, I guess, have, you know, for that round to be successful and then to go on to sort of have hyper growth after that to sort of show that, you know, this type of investment is absolutely possible. So um, in terms of um, this year, Dylan... Alcott being Australian mm. of the Year, mm. 2022. What sort of how has that sort of impacted the the disability sector, and and what does that mean for for your business? Mm. Yeah, I got. I was so emotional watching that event, and his and his speech was extremely powerful. And I think having someone with a visible disability on that stage in the national spotlight like that is you know profoundly important for our sector. 
was, what caused me the most, most emotion on the night was seeing the way that my news feed on my, on my socials just absolutely lit up with the voices of people with disability themselves, all the, all the people that I spent my life with, the pride that the community took in, in Dylan being on that stage and the confidence boost that I think even just him winning the award in his speech, the confidence boost and the, and you know, it's just that thing you can't be what you can't see. And so for our community to see someone with a visible disability at that sort of, that level of accomplishment, it meant an enormous amount to the community. And that, that was really powerful. But then I think he's, you know, he's only just begun using his year. And I know employment is a big target area for him. And he's doing huge things to cast a light on the fact that people with disability experience unemployment at unacceptable rates in our society. So I think he's got, you know, if he can move the dial on that issue, that will be a, a year very well spent. Well, I think he will. I think he will. I think he'll, he will provoke more conversations about these issues than we have had in the past probably 10 years. So I'm sure he'll use his platform well. Now, we have to ask you a couple of silly questions. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, you know, a, sure. a, a fun podcast, would yeah. it? I mean, this guy is very serious, I'm a, a very serious, serious person. Nice. So um, <laughs> we, uh, we've had a couple of people who've now taken up this offer, but we're mm. considering sending people to space. Mm. Mm-hmm. So would you go? Sure. Okay, you would go. Absolutely. Oh. Why? But do you get to come back? That's, I think that's... Well, I don't know. It's unclear. It's one way... It's a one-way ticket, one isn't way? it? It was a one. It was a, well. It could be a return on the Russian one. You only get one way. Boy, the Sputnik. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be like that one in Itchy and Scratchy when they go up to the moon and then the, their eyes explode and stuff. You know, it's a problem that one. Do your eyes have to explode? Is that is that optional? I, I would if it We're was a turn and there's no eye explosion. I would 100 percent go. I'd love to go to space. Why? Well, because I think it's an ultimate. It's an ultimate frontier, isn't it? And also to feel weightlessness. I'd love to feel that. Um, I don't think I could. I don't think I'd want to go one way, and I don't think I'd want to go for a long period of time because I think it has enormous, you know, impacts on your body, and I probably wouldn't be strong enough. But I'd love to experience it. And so few people, at humans, have ever got to do it. There's also very limited cuisine options up there. I mean, who wants to eat those mm. spacesuit food right. things? I'm right. out. I like space sticks. In, in America, there's this thing called home fries. Mm. We're trying to figure out what this is. Do you know what home fries are? No. And we get the same... No, we're no struggling idea. on this question. Yeah, yeah. We think it's potato. I mean, surely it's just super, super fried potato. One mm. of those things. But why call it home? Is it like homemade? Maybe they've got the one-way ticket on the space flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like in the vacuum-sealed bag? Yeah. Yeah, but it'll be cold. We want to send the fries back. You, you don't want to have cold chips. No, you don't. It's true. But if you call them chips in America, they look at you like you're a weirdo anyway. That's true. Laura, what's, um, what's coming up? What's new and you know, what should people look out for? So we are working really hard at the moment on opening higher up in each of the major cities. So we're targeting Melbourne at the moment. So opening opening down there. So for the community with disability in Melbourne, yeah, we're opening a new hub and we're opening, we're starting to move into sort of the technology supported front, frontline services. So the ability for people to engage with us uh, more deeply. Historically, we've been um, sort of focused mostly on the platform side of what we do, but we're starting to introduce other layers of, of engaging with the community. So that's really exciting. But yeah, just our, our focus right now is, is growth. And, and like I said, getting to 25,000 active users by 2025 is the target. Amazing. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. From my point of view, it was really good to uh, hear about a business which has been able to succeed uh, with some of that um, impact investing behind it. Because I think mm. it's a really great example for us to talk about. And I know that there is a genuine interest from a government perspective on trying to ensure that more impact investing can be facilitated. So um, we've really appreciated hearing your your story and all you do for the community. Yeah, and I, I think I, I really think the other thing is important for everyone is, you know, a mission-oriented business can grow and hyper-grow as well and can work and get, you know, 
not only impact investment but all the other investment as well. I think that's it's all very possible, and I think it's really inspiring. Yeah, I agree. Um, what you've done. Yeah, I, I personally think impact businesses are the way of the future. If a consumer can engage a service and know that it's c- contributing positively to the world, why wouldn't you, right? So I think the future is definitely social for sure. Amazing. Well, thanks for um, – why, why am I thanking you? I don't you know. Thank you. you want, uh, thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. I but appreciate it's, uh, it. It's good to chat and, uh, yeah, we look forward to staying in touch, yeah. And as always, if you are listening to this on wherever you do listen to podcasts, do subscribe and do send us a like, write a review if you can. Laura's amazing. Andrew's getting better. Yeah, I'm trying. on the way as well. Um, and share it with a friend. Friends share uh, to other friends great things. And hopefully um, that's how podcasts get around these days. So um, that's, that's us and we'll see you guys again.